praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of God with the people of God and um, uh, count it a privilege uh, to minister the word this morning. Now, well, we can't kind of ignore some of the events that have taken place this week. Um, and I know that, um, you know, there is, from a political perspective, you know, the, the Christian lobby has been uh, doing great uh, works to try and, you know, try and oppose the uh, move to uh, what will be the legalisation or the change in definition of marriage to legalise gay marriages and so forth. And so uh, it's quite interesting because, you know, I think, I don't know how many years ago it was exactly, but, you know, it was less than 50, I know that, uh, uh, where it was illegal in law to practice sodomy, to practice uh, homosexuality. It was to break the law. Now we've legalised it to define what is marriage. And so uh, they call it progressivism. We're progressing in the depths of hell. Descending, not progressing, descending down. And so what we're seeing is uh, symbolic and I think it must be addressed so that we can understand it biblically and we can have a biblical perspective on these events and understand it in the context of how Scripture sees it because the Bible speaks about these things. It's not silent. In actual fact, the Bible gives us an understanding as to what is going on. You know, people no doubt are praying and saying, Lord, don't let it pass and, and that's great and all, but it didn't happen. So what does it mean? Does, is God failing? He's not hearing our prayers? How do we interpret these events? Well, the Bible gives us an understanding of these things. And so I want to consider that with you this morning as we look in the Word of God. Because the word love has been bantered around in recent times, hasn't it? Love is love. Love is love. Well, what does that mean? You see, because love's not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. God is love. And so love has to be defined for it to be properly understood because the, the ethereal or ethereal definition that they give it is totally not what love is according to the scriptures. You see, when you divorce love from the truth, when you divorce love from the word of God, when you divorce love from the scriptures, then you have corrupted the word love completely. God is love in its purity. In purity, God is love. And so what we're witnessing today is not love. It's anything but love. And so we ha again, we have to address it scripturally. We have to understand how these things work. And so <clears throat> I want to attempt, or not attempt, I'm going to do it this morning. And I'm going to show us in the Word of God a couple of things that I want to consider and, um, and, and interpret the events so that we can have a proper perspective, so that we know how to pray, so we know how to conduct ourselves, so we know what we ought to do in the will of God and in light of the events that's going on. Uh, Brother Sam shared a few things uh, in, uh, as in testimony this morning and we can see that, um, yeah, in light of the, the flood of wickedness that's coming upon our world, and think about it, Australia's, we're, we're, we're lagging behind in what's going on in the world, True. I don't know how, how many other nations have gone down this path and have progressed, you know, progressed further. But um, uh, 
we have these things that are going on around us. And so, yeah, our prayer is, come Lord Jesus. Our prayer is, Lord, slay the wicked because that's ultimately one day where the righteous judgment of God will come. But again, what about today? How do we interpret these events? And so this is what we want to look at in the Word of God. And so to do that, what I want to do is, there's a scripture in Romans 11, not that that's our text, but it says, there's a phrase that says, consider the goodness and the severity of God. Obviously, there's a context there, but there's a principle there. Consider the goodness and the severity of God. And so I want to consider with you this morning the severity of God first before we move to his goodness. And in identifying this severity, I want us to understand God's wrath. And actual fact, you can turn to Romans chapter 1 because that's where we're going to read from where the Bible says God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. And then it proceeds to give us an understanding of some things. Now, my intent this morning is not to give an exposition of Romans 1. I think I've done that, uh, this particular scripture in times past. But nevertheless, I want to use it as a launching pad. We will reference to it to highlight some things and we will progress in other areas because I want to show you the progressive wrath of God. Okay? Not progressivism as we know it today, but the progressive wrath of God that is being manifest, that we are actually observing. And we can't, we, we, we want to interpret that properly because that's what's going on. We are seeing the wrath of God coming upon nations and we're seeing in light of even what's happening around us, this is what it has to do with. And so God's word is crystal clear when it comes to the direction of this nation and the world that we live in. And so let's read a familiar portion of text in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 18 through to verse 32. Okay, the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness." in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonour their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, 
men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, maliciousness, sorry, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. It's a pretty potent portion of scripture isn't it it's gives us a revelation and an understanding to how to interpret the world around us but we find in verse uh, 18 for God's wrath is the wrath of God is revealed it is manifest it is made known from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So the question is, well then how is it observable? If the, if the wrath of God is manifest, if the wrath of God is being demonstrated, then how do we identify it? How do we interpret this? And so Paul writes and goes on here and he gives us a, a, a measuring stick, so to speak, in order how to interpret and understand the wrath of God that is being manifested and revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. Now, we're not seeing yet God, you know, um, come and with fire and brimstone and destroy the wicked. Okay, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing God's wrath in its fullness being poured out. But we are seeing God's wrath being manifested in this nation and in uh, the, the dynamics of what's going on around us. And so Paul is demonstrating this. So where did it all start? How, did, how is the wrath of God and why is the wrath of God being manifested against the un, all unrighteousness of men? And it, it has to do with the fact, and for, first and foremost, as we see, because Paul says that um, they have rejected the Creator. We already touched upon that this morning. They've rejected the Creator. There is no God. That is, the, that is the, 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 um, the mantra of our day. There is no God. And as a result, there is a rejection of God. Then there is a rejection of the creation itself. So therefore, there's a re if you're going to reject God, the creator, then you have to reject creation. So therefore, there are no natural laws. And so now we begin to see the full manifestation of, uh, uh, you know, these practices obviously have always existed, but we're seeing it now sanctified through in, in so-called so law here in Australia in which we're, uh, um, uh, in terms of defining what a marriage is. I mean, these people, they, they're not equal. How, they can't reproduce. They can't, they, 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 the whole uh, foundation of society tells us that it doesn't work, that there's no level of procreation, that it's unnatural, unnatural. You know, they talk about love, love, love. You know what? And I don't want to go into the crass side of it this morning, but I just want to just put the thought out there. But the acts of homosexuality are repulsive. 
It is not according to natural order. And yet somehow, oh, love is love. Well, it's not love. This is an abomination in the sight of God and it must be understood in light of that. This is not natural. And yet it is being fed as if it's somehow some expression of love and it's not the case. And so what we have is a rejection of the Creator God, we have a rejection of His creation and the natural laws that God has set in place. And so we see these and we see men becoming and acting like animals. You know, we came from apes, right? You know, I don't even see apes do that, (laughs) to my knowledge. Think about it though. So, professing, look at what Paul says, professing to be wise, they become fools. You see, they are without excuse. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They know what the truth is, but they've decided to just to totally tell us that black is white and white is black and somehow everyone has to believe it. They suppress the truth and then they come to this so-called reasoning and philosophy and professing to sound wise, they become fools and this is what we observe in, in our world today, exactly as it was then. Human nature hasn't changed. Sin is sin. Now what is interesting, I want, to, what I want to highlight out of Romans here without going through all these scriptures, is that on three occasions, okay, we want to identify the wrath of God. And so on three occasions we find Paul use the phrase that God gave them up or he gave them over. Three times. And this is important because something is happening within the heart of men And then that is beginning to manifest itself uh, and as it escalates and as it moves uh, and takes on the form that it does, the Bible says God gives them up or gives them over. And this is where the wrath of God is being manifested. I will say to you this morning that the the vote in in the Australian plebiscite to legalise gay marriage, when you look at it and interpret it, what you're seeing is the wrath of God revealed from heaven. That's what it is. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And so this is what we're observing is that they are rejecting God, they are defying God and then God is in his divine judgment and his divine wrath, he's giving them over to the full manifestation of sinfulness. Go to verse 24, let's see it. It says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts. Notice the the word, the lust of their hearts. This ain't love. The Bible never, never can it be defined as love. God is love. What we have is a perversion of love and it is lust. And in the lusts of their hearts, that's what the Bible says, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to, now listen, to dishonour their bodies among themselves. So here is we, we find that first the expression that God gave them up to dishonour their bodies. 
Look at verse 26. For this reason, again, God gave them up or over to vile passions. That word vile means disgraceful. Disgraceful passions. For even, now listen to this, for their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. This is we have women with women. And the man, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust. There it is again, burned in their lust. Not an expression of their love. They burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and dealing and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. The, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error. The divine judgment of God is being manifested in their actions. You see, the actions are the fruit What's been going on in the heart and mind in, in, uh, is something that's, al- you know, that's already been existing for a long time, brewing and building and, and uh, what's been going on now used to be behind closed doors. Now it's openly flaunted everywhere, everywhere. And so again we, we see this. And in verse 28... So even as they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over again three times. The third time, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. They're not fitting. They're not acceptable works. It's not natural. And to practice such is evidence of a debased mind is manifestation of a debased mind and in actual fact it is, a, it, is a, it is a demonstration of God's wrath against unrighteousness that is being revealed from heaven. They are not fitting. You see, we understand the, the phrase that gets banded around and we all have to be subjected to it and it's run everywhere around us. You know, the whole issue of gay pride. But you see, there's nothing proud about it. It is, it is absolutely, according to the word of God, vile, disgraceful, shameful, debased, evil, wicked, an abomination. Vastly different terms. And terms, if we were to use them, we would be called haters. We would be called homophobes. We would be called whatever name under the sun. But this is the, what the word of God's teaching us. This is what we're seeing. And so the success of the yes vote is a sign of God's wrath upon mankind. He's giving them over to their lusts. He's allowing them to dishonour their bodies and defile themselves in such a manner that is not fitting and is unacceptable in the sight of God. This is what the Bible says. You see, the end of rejecting God, the end, that's why Paul writes these things because, you know, we read that, it's like, what you've got to understand, what Paul's doing here is he's saying that when you reject God, when you reject the creation, you are setting yourself on a path. And that path has a destination. And it's progressive. It is progressive. The wrath of God is progressive as, as, as it's being revealed here and we'll see it later in Scripture. And so you see that. And so, but you know what? You keep going down that path, there's a destination. There is a destination and I, my, my, my belief was and prior to and, and still is today, 
I don't see evidence of this nation being humbled before God. So, uh, and so even if the no vote was to win today, I guarantee, based off on the word of God and my understanding, that it is inevitable. And that's not being negative or pessimistic. And, and it's in, inevitable outside, obviously, God's sovereign intervention, which is possible. Praise the Lord for that. But from a natural, biblical perspective, it's inevitable where we are today because of what's already been going on and the trajectory that, that this world is on. So it shouldn't shock us in that sense. But what we're seeing is the full manifestation of sinfulness. Men with men, women with women. And what we're seeing is hastening God's wrath, his ultimate wrath that will be poured out. You see, we, we know that. Look at, uh, you know, the, everyone's familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament. Actually, you can turn there. Go to Genesis 19. And I want you just to read this portion of text again because I'm, I no doubt you've read it and you would have been uh, struck by its perverseness. You know, it's pretty explicit. And so you have a, a, an account here that is quite revealing and offensive. To think about it, a group of men want to rape an angel of God. Think about it. So let's, I want to just read from verse 4 to 11, if you can, just so that we can see it here. Sodom had become so depraved, it had progressed to such a depth, a depth. The wrath of God was already being revealed and the wrath of God was about to come down in full force with fire and brimstone. God was going to destroy them. And so in verse 4 it says, Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, from old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them to us that we may know them carnally. Or in other words, that we may rape them, have sex with them. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind them and said, Please, my brothers, do not do so wickedly. Anyway, verse 8, so I said, uh, then it says, So now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason which they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. Then they, uh, then they said, This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the men lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door and they struck the men who were in the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, that they became weary of trying to find the door. Evil. A bunch of men knocking and barging on the door wanting to lay a hold of these men so that they can rape them. And then Lot, anyway, you read it, and then, and then, uh, then they want att attacking Lot. See, this is, this is depravity, this is insanity. And so here's a city that had become so perverted and yet we know the end of the story where God judges it with fire and brimstone and destroys the whole city. Now let's read because Jesus gives us an account of this. Let's go to Luke chapter 17 verse 26 and it says, And it's as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, 
they married wives, they were given in marriage. Now that takes on a different meaning, doesn't it? (laughs) They married wives and they were given in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Noah went out of Sodom, oh sorry, Lot, Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be the day when the Son of Man is revealed. As it was in Noah's day, as it was in Lot's day, so it will be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man where wickedness will begin to manifest and become so depraved, so, so evil and so wicked and, uh, and we'll be crying out for deliverance and there will be deliverance, praise the Lord. But you see here how it works and the wrath of God will ultimately be manifested in such a way that in, its, in the progressive aspect of it, the, you read the Bible, the Revelation teaches us about the great tribulation, about the wrath of God that is poured out in full strength. And we go to Revelation uh, again, chapter 20, and those names that were not found written in the book of life, they'll be cast into the lake of fire. The sexually immoral, liars and thieves, All the wicked will be cast into the lake of fire. This will be the ultimate white throne judgment that is coming upon all men who have not received the love of the truth, who have not known the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you can see how this is a progressive element and how all of this works. You know, uh, if you study the fall of Rome, and there's a few reasons, obviously, historically, but one of the reasons, undoubtedly, is that they say that Rome had become in its, has so corrupted in its power and its lust for pleasure and its lust for violence. And the two go together. So they, uh, their lust for, for pleasure and their lust for violence, that's why they love to go in the Colosseum and they love to see murder and bloodshed. You know, and we're progressing on that, aren't we? We, we love, this generation loves, love, they love violent entertainment and they love sexual pleasure. And the two go hand in hand and it will escalate and it'll get, it's going to get worse. Soon we won't just be having UFC, we'll be having, get it all out man, just is kill to the death and we're going to be cheering and screaming and yelling for blood. You, you laugh but it's true. <laughs> History repeats itself, sin is sin. You want to understand the future, understand the past. It, re- it just replays itself. Which brings me to the nation of Israel. So I want to consider with you and I want to track with you the nation of Israel as an example of this uh, and see. Because Israel is an interesting uh, nation to identify because we know that they were chosen by God. But what you begin to see when you study Israel's history is you begin to see the wrath of God that was progressive upon the nation until obviously God had had enough and he said, that's it. Uh, and he sends uh, uh, the, 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 the ten tribes into the captivity to Syria and then he sends the, the two tribes up into captivity into Babylon. But you see, there was a progressive aspect that was associated to this and I want to track it with you because Israel was chosen to be a light to the nations. Israel was chosen uh, by God and, and uh, to be holy, to be separated. 
to shine forth the truth and righteousness and holiness and yet we see a history of God's people that too is filled with depravity, that is filled with debauchery itself and when we begin to see this in scripture, again you see the same pattern emerges. So I want you to turn, let's work through this, Leviticus chapter 18. In the book, in the Torah, in the law of God, the law of Moses, we have in Leviticus chapter 18, God laying down the laws that surround sexual immorality. Now it's interesting to note that we're not going to read them all because there's lots and, and, and it, it touches upon quite a number as well. But we're going to touch on that which is relevant to us today and so I want you to look at verse 22 where it talks about the very issue that we're dealing with. The word of God says, Leviticus 18, verse 22, nor shall you make... Oh, that's sorry, that's worth 23. Anyway, that's talking about animals. But you can see the, the, the laws of sexual immorality and how they extend. But let's go back to verse, verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. It is an abomination. God says this is the laws that surround sex, uh, sexual immorality. You see, God created sex. Let's be honest. Let's be frank. It is, it is something that God has ordained and, and it, within the confines of marriage, he's given us the laws that govern how, how it all works. And so when it, you go outside of those boundaries, you pervert what God has called good and this is what's happening in the world around us and one of those expressions is men with men and women with women and God says it is an abomination. That's what he calls it. So if you go to chapter 23, oh, actually before we do that, sorry, I want you to go to verse 25 of, of, of chapter 18. Now God says that to the the children of Israel and he says in verse 25, for the land is defiled when there's such manifestation of sexual immorality. uh, Therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it and the land vomits out its inheritance. You see, when when God sent, vomited uh, Israel and Judah out of the land, this was a direct result of some of these things, this immorality that was going on. And I want, to, I want to show that to you. And so God has laid down the principle. He's warning them before they even go into the land, this is how it works. You better be careful because if you violate this, then this will be the consequences. I will vomit you out of that land as part of my judgment and my wrath against you. So now go to Leviticus, sorry, chapter 20. And verse 13. Again, we find God speaking about it and he gives us uh, the punishment of such. And he says, If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Again, this is very heavy. So the, the, the consequence for practicing such things is death. And this doesn't just apply to homosexuality. This applies to the various laws of, of, of sexual immorality. And so sex outside of marriage, fornication, not just homosexuality, all, law, all forms of sexual immorality that go outside what God has defined. 
But we're looking at this particular aspect because I want, I want to show it to you in the scripture. Now go to Deuteronomy chapter 23. In Deuteronomy 23, we just in the miscellaneous laws, there's one thing I want to just highlight here in verse 17. Now God says to them, There shall be no ritual harlot of the daughters of Israel or a perverted one of the sons of Israel. Now what he's saying here is, he's, again, it's part of the law, he's making reference to two, to two individuals, and that being the woman and the man. So it's pretty explicit where it says, there shall be no ritual prostitute or harlot of the daughters of Israel. That's pretty self-explanatory of the women. But it also says, or a perverted one of the sons of Israel. In other words, there are to be no male prostitutes. There is to be no male uh, uh, who is to uh, uh, conduct themselves after this manner. So the perverted one is found in this context. Now what's interesting, there is a number of Hebrew words that are used There's here and one is used for the female and one for the, the male, one in, obviously in the feminine, one in the masculine. But then... This word perverted one, what is interesting is that it comes from a Hebrew word and that Hebrew word is the root word which means holy, separated. So God is saying you cannot take what is holy and make it perverted and you must not take what is holy and call it holy. And this is exactly what begins to happen. In the, in, the, in, the, in the history of Israel. And when you begin to see it, it's sickening and you say, how could it come to that? How could it get to that? Because when sin, sin has a life of its own church and it has a, a destination and we're going to see it play out amongst the children of Israel. So God is warning them about these things here right down when he's giving the law. So, in light of all this, what has to be understood is that Israel was meant to be a holy nation. They were meant to be to reflect the righteousness of God, to be a light around to them, to the other nations, because the other nations were steeped in the paganism. They were steeped in idolatry. They were steeped in all forms of sexual immorality, and they practiced them uh, to uh, to in their fullness. They would practice them as part of their religious rituals and worship. And uh, so the the whole issue of idolatry and sexual immorality always goes together. It's a principle in the Word of God. The deeper you go, when you reject the Creator and when you move into idolatry, and then the, the fruit will always be sexual immorality and perversion. It's always the case. That's why you look around us today. What do we have? In, uh, we have the Greens. And we have these inner city seats now. And uh, you have, you know, everyone's claiming, you know, the worship of nature, Mother Nature, this and that, and all the idolatry that is surrounded. But what is the one mark that you identify? Immorality. Because the two go hand in hand. It is manifest, it is seen. So when Israel goes into idolatry, they go into sexual immorality. And it is identifiable. So let's track this. Let's look at how it works. So, you remember King Solomon. Solomon, we know, had many wives. And, uh, uh, and in doing so, the Bible says that they, uh, as, as he married different uh, wives and different women from different nations, from the pagan nations, and he mixed marriage according, in contra contrast to the law of God, the Bible says that they turned his heart. 
And so he began to erect for them uh, um, uh, places of worship where they could practice their idolatry. This is Solomon. And so, that, and so, he's, uh, so that they could worship Moloch and they could worship uh, Asterisk and, um, and who, who were, others that were involved in their, in their idolatry. But this was beginning to now be manifested uh, in Israel itself and Solomon began to compromise and he allowed these things to t- occur. The Bible says they turned his heart. You see, that was the beginning of a progression not into enlightenment, but into darkness. And in doing so, we begin to see uh, how it begins to manifest. And if you look at uh, 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 22, it says, Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they committed, more than all their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars and wooden images. See the note? There's the note to idolatry. On every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also perverted persons. Or in other words, it's the same word, there were also male prostitutes in the land. There were perverted persons, men and women. And they did, now it says here, they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now all of a sudden they're corrupted. Because, why? Because Solomon compromised. You see, this is why as parents, when, we, uh, we, when we, we're raising children, we've got to be very careful because our compromises will play themselves out in the generations to come. This is very important. You learn these things. And so, so you know, Solomon thought, oh, well, what's, what does it really matter if we just erect a few and let them do it? We just keep it separated, you know, and the rationales and all the wise reasoning that goes behind it don't profess to be wise because you're a fool and then uh, now look at it uh, just a generation or two later the perverse uh, the perverted persons were in the land already manifest and Rehoboam the son of Solomon allowed this practice to continue then you had one of the righteous kings of, uh, of, of Judah that came to, into power which was the reforms and King Asa in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 12, it says about Asa, and he banished the perverted persons from the land and removed all the idols that his father had made. There's the reference again. In order to remove the perverted persons, these, these sexual immoral, he then had removed their idols because the two were connected. And so Asa, uh, uh, being a righteous king, uh, begins to see the, the decisions of his forefathers and says, you know what, I need to reverse this. And he begins to institute various reforms and you can read about it to, and see the covenants that he makes in to seek the Lord and, and other things. But you can see this pattern emerging. But you see, as Israel did, they had a righteous king and then that king would die and then another king would rise and and he wouldn't serve the Lord and then the people would corrupt themselves again and so you have this progression with the history of the nation and then ultimately there's one particular king that comes into power, he's King Manasseh. Now King Manasseh was a wicked and vile king and he had had done much and if you you can read about him and see the extreme rebellion that was in his life and disobedience to God but in 2 Kings chapter 21 verse 7 it says this about Manasseh he even set up a carved image of Ashereth that he had made 
in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. Or in other words, what his, his, uh, Manasseh has done is he's taken the idol and not only now like Solomon who put it outside somewhere else so they could do it, they said let's just smack it bang in the centre in the house of God. Let's just put it in this holy place and in doing so they've set up an idol. I mean what God said, this is, this is the holy of holies. This is the holy place. And they have corrupted through idolatry in the first instance the worship of God. But you read on. And, not, and, and, and a couple of kings after, we have King Josiah. And King Josiah was one of the righteous kings of Judah. And not only that, we know that he was prophesied earlier after the, uh, Je- the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin in the first instance again. And so you have uh, this prophecy about Josiah would come and he was going to destroy and you read about the, the, the revival that took place under Josiah's reign as a young man or a young boy and, um, and, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Now listen to what the scripture says in relation to him in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 7. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the wooden image. Now there's not only uh, an idol, but now there are perverted persons, there are male prostitutes in the house of God, in the holy place, corrupting. How did it get to that? You see, because that's the progression. This is how it works. And, And I tell you now, in the passing of these laws, isn't it interesting, you find out some of those who profess to be Christians. You find out who they really are. Because the Christian does not make room for what's going on around us. And, you know, in some of these churches that are, uh, so-called churches I should call them as well, because if they're embracing this, you cannot call them a church. But you see here, this is what's going on male prostitutes operating the perverted persons in the house of God. And Josiah, he, he, he tore down the ritual booths. And the woman, you know, when it says in the women wove hangings, it all sounds, oh, love, you know, no, that's not nice. What they were doing is they were creating an environment with curtains and tents and beautifying it with the, the idol that had already been set up and with the immorality that was taking place within the house of God. And so when people would come for their worship, they would go and they would commit sexual immorality as part of their religious worship. That's what's happening in the house of God. Now look at what God says back at Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 23 or Deuteronomy 23 and now look at what's actually manifesting hundreds of years later amongst the children of Israel. It's sad, isn't it? That can happen to anyone. I mean, you know, look at the church movements that have come and gone today and those that have gone into, you know, ordaining homosexual and lesbians into the ministry something that would never have been thought of. But it happens and it will happen more often. And so we see all this 
And what we're seeing is that God has given them over. God gave them over. It was progressive. And then it manifested in such a way. And then you know the, the history that God said, okay, you're going into Babylon. You're going into captivity. And everything was destroyed and lost. The progressive wrath of God is being revealed. And this world, this nation, is heading for the great tribulation. It is, the Bible says, flee from the wrath to come. Because you don't want to be here when the wrath of God is poured out in full strength. You cannot imagine the days, unless those days were shortened. I mean, we think of the flood, we think of the Sodom and Gomorrah, and yet now we see in the book of Revelation the wrath of God that would be poured out on, this, on, on mankind for their sin and defiance and rebellion against God. So, that's the severity of God this morning. Just stick with me quickly because I can't preach this without preaching about the goodness of God. Because in light of all of this and the, the darkness and the corruption and the debauchery, we can sit here and say, yes, Lord, uh, slay them and kill them. And, and in a sense, there's a truth to that. But let's remember, we are still in the age of grace. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, in light of us having to stand and preach, and preach the gospel and preach the law of God and preach... You know, uh, Charles, I've said it before, Charles Spurgeon said the best way to preach the gospel is to preach it through the social issues of your day. So we need to address these issues. Don't remain silent. Don't keep quiet. As, you know, get up on, on, on a platform, get up in the, on the streets and, and talk about and proclaim these things because we have to address the social issues of our day. That's what's relevant to us. But in doing so, we're wanting to bring forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You see, because the gospel teaches us not only about the severity of God, but it teaches us about his goodness, how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. The woman in adultery under the law, they were ready to throw stones at her and kill her to be put to death. But Jesus said to her, Go and sin, I, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Sin no more. Okay, that's how grace works. Okay? But neither do I condemn you. And so this is the gospel that we preach. This is the offer that God is giving to the generation that we're a part of and it still stands until, this, uh, until that last one and the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And so we're talking now that the gospel brings about hope. The gospel brings about uh, redemption. It teaches us about God's goodness, God's mercy, God's love. Everything is on display because God would save wretched sinners like us. Amazing grace. See, Bible says God suffers long and he desires that none should perish but all should come to repentance. In, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, is a familiar portion of Scripture. Let me read it. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some count slackness, that's talking about his judgment and his wrath that will come. It's coming. 
It's coming. You can read it in those previous verses. But he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Any and all. The offer still stands. The gospel is still to be preached. The gospel's to be proclaimed. We are lights to shine in the darkness. This is what it's all about, and that the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ would shine in their hearts, whom Satan has blinded the eyes of them that don't believe. There's a spiritual dynamic here, and so the light of the gospel is what opens the eyes and what enlightens the eyes, and it's the gospel that we must preach. Any and all. In second, sorry, in First Corinthians, Paul's writing, and he's writing to the church of Corinth, and this particular city was known for its sexual immorality as well, and uh, and it's it's all of its uh, sexual perversion, and yet Paul writes to these people, and he says to them in chapter six, verse nine. He says, "Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God?" Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. The people in Corinth had been saved from their sexual immorality. The people of Corinth had been delivered from their homosexual conduct. The people in Corinth came to their senses and were delivered and they were saved, they were delivered and they were healed. And so Paul says to them, but you, such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because that's what God wants to do. He still wants to seek and save that which is lost. Until that day comes when the, the, the ark and that door is shut, amen, the gospel and is still being preached and we are warning of the wrath to come and we are urging people to get saved. Hey, but who knows? Who knows? when they? You see, this is the whole purpose behind God's wrath being revealed and because God is allowing mankind to receive in their bodies the punishment that is due to them, the penalty. Let them bear the fruit of it. And then in doing so, the, the, the aim is to have them humbled under the mighty hand of God that sin would break them, corrupt them, destroy them and then, and then when they come to nothing, that's when God's grace comes. You know what, church? I know where I came from. I know. If, if God didn't come to me in my depravity, in my sin, as an 18-year-old, and I wouldn't be standing here today. And so, in my darkest hour, at my worst, the gospel came, saved me, and delivered me. And we have to understand that. We can't lose sight of this. And so, we want to interpret all these things correctly. See, the darker it gets, the greater the, the potential for the light to shine. You know, back in the 60s, they called it the, you know, the sexual revolution, didn't they? And uh, we had the, the influence of the music. You know, I heard that the, uh, the guitarist of ACDC just died. Uh, and he 
was an Aussie. Anyway, um, you know, and they write songs, Highway to Hell. But he's go, he would have woken up to a rude awakening to stand before God. But we had a generation of Beatles, Rolling Stones or whatever and they all came in and people were mesmerised through music and idolatry and then it manifested in such levels of sexual immorality. But what happened also that came out of that is we had the Jesus people movement because people, they began to throw off all restraint, they began to sex, uh, uh, commit sexual immorality to a degree that was unprecedented in those times and yet you would have, th- you know, the church could have sat there and said, you know what, uh, it is what it is. But you know, they preached the gospel and there was a move of God that began to sweep through Western nations and many people got saved and delivered and there were many fellowships that came out as a result of that. And so, because they get disillusioned because what happens is when you bear the fruit of your sin, you find, the hope is that you come to your senses and God then will grant you repentance. Because no one comes to God unless God draws them. But God's in the business of drawing people. Can you say amen? And so to the unrepentant and to the proud, well, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what's God's word to this generation? The same as it's been to every generation. (laughs) Right down in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 40, Peter said, be saved from this perverse generation. This perverse generation. And it is. Today, what's the word of the Lord? Be saved from this perverse generation. That word perverse is in the Greek word. It's interesting, I didn't realise this. Sean will know it. Scoliosis. Scolios. That's what the word in the Greek means, perverse. And scoliosis, we know, is a term that we use for those that have a curvature in the spine. And so when, when it says be saved from this perverse generation, it's saying this generation is crooked, it's warped. Professing to be wise, they're fools and they are thinking, their thinking is warped, it's perverted, it's crooked. Be saved from this crooked and perverse generation. And so that's why when we come to Jesus, we're on that straight, narrow path, amen, that leads to life. So as I close, in, let me read to you one last scripture in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. This brings it back to what is our responsibility here in light of all of this. But listen to what the Bible says. Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. It is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. God wants to use your life and that's why he needs your life to reflect the truth. If you can't be a testimony for Jesus Christ then you are corrupting the testimony of God. And so we are to be lights that shine and so our lives have to be straight. We can't be crooked ourselves because then how can we bear testimony? How can, we, how can our light shine? 
And so when we, when we hold fast to the truth, when we practice the truth, uh, then we are, and God is working in us to will and to do for his good pleasure and in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation, they look at our lives and they say, oh, you're too narrow-minded. That, what a blessing, that's a compliment. You bet I'm, I'm, I'm narrow. You, that's exactly what God's wanting. Thank God that they can see that. Oh, you're narrow. And they said to my son, you're too narrow-minded, Matthew. And the teacher says, I'm going to make you my little project and I'm going to teach you to learn to think abstract. No, you just want to try and mess with his head. That's what you want to do. And I said, Matthew, this is what you say to him. <laughs> and so, but you can see how it works. But see, we're lights that shine. And so what does the scripture tell us in Ephesians chapter um, uh, four, I think it is, where it says, or oh, five, it says, uh, we, we are lights in the Lord. And it, what does it say? Expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Expose them. Don't remain silent. Speak the truth in love. Declare it. Say it as it is. Don't try and, you know, make be. You know, the, I, 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 I mean, we need wisdom and don't, don't misunderstand my point here. But I've, I remember coming across Christians over all the years and they say, just be, oh, you're being too harsh, you've just got to be more sensitive, watch your vocabulary. Listen, I'm only using words the Bible uses. Don't dilute the word, preach the word. Because the moment you dilute into human wisdom, you've just taken away the effect of the cross. And so we're going to use God's word. You know, the Bible says that God, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come to here to cha- save the unchurched. We've got to use biblical language and phraseology because that's where the power of the gospel lies as we preach the truth, the word of God. And we've got to leave the, the, the results up to him. But we've got to be faithful stewards and we've got to do what we're required to do, expose the unfruitful works of darkness. And that word to expose means to tell them their fault. How are they going to know it's wrong? So, you know, we're, we're, we're coming now with a generation that don't know their right hand from their left. They want to teach them in kindergarten about two mums, two dads. They're going to grow up and they're going, uh-huh. It's up to us to tell them. We've got to tell them. We've got to tell them. And that's what we need to do. And in doing so, I pray that the Lord will use us and make us fruitful. And as they bear in themselves the penalty of their sin, I pray as they come to the end of themselves, God, have mercy on their soul. Save them. Bring deliverance. Raise up a testimony of people that have been corrupted in sin and now they are holy, sanctified and justified in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just bless your holy name. We just thank you for the word of God this morning. I thank you, God, for this gospel. I thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. And I pray, God, that we would interpret the events of the world around us, that which is relevant to us today. But more than that, we would understand the purpose of God in your wrath being revealed against all unrighteousness. And in doing so, Lord, uh, it is the ultimate end. Is, yes, will be the judgment of the wicked. But, Lord, in this age of grace, it is still your desire that you are suffering long. And it is your desire that men would come unto salvation. So Lord, use us. Work in us to will and to do for your good pleasure. Use us to testify. Use us to preach the word. Let our lives, Lord, uh, uh, shine. And our light so shine amongst all men. I pray bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.